If you're a founder building a company, you're going to eventually have to start hiring executives to help you scale. The people you bring into your leadership team can make or break your startup. I'm Nigel Robinson with Build Talent, and in each episode, we'll be speaking with a founder or expert as we discuss the art and science of hiring leaders, why it matters, and how you can keep up. Welcome to the Gradients Podcast. I am here with Andre Papancha on the latest episode of the Gradients Podcast. Andre is the CEO and Chief Product Officer at NLX, which was founded in 2018, I believe. And they are in the voice technology space, transforming customer contact into personalized self-service experiences. I know that they've raised $5 million in seed money. And he is also a professor at Columbia University teaching courses on AI engineering on cloud computing and big data. Yeah, he's come on to share with us more about what it's like building that company and the people that he's had an opportunity to work with along the way. Thanks for joining us, Andre. Thank you for the invite, Nigel. Very nice to meet you. And hi, everyone, whoever's going to be watching this. So the thing to start with, I think, as we were talking about a little bit before, is just your origins as a product developer, as a leader, as a founder. Can you tell us a little bit about your background before maybe making your way into Columbia? I know that you're a lifelong programmer and were like from a very young age kind of stepping into SaaS before you even really knew maybe what you were really getting into. Sure thing. I'm originally from Romania, first and foremost. I grew up there up until college. I moved to the United States and I've been here ever since. I've been programming for a almost as long as I can remember, probably most relevant, somewhere around fifth grade, my parents opened up an LLC so I can legally sell web development and design services to businesses (laughs) in my community. And I guess I've always been a little fascinated with building things, whatever they were. And I ended up picking up a lot of projects I didn't necessarily know how to do just because I was interested in in figuring out how to build the specific things that were requested of me, whether it was an e-commerce website or a mobile app or an augmented reality experience and so on and so forth. And yeah, once I I got to the US, that sort of broadened the market and the exposure to all kinds of new technologies. And frankly, that part of me has, has stayed there ever since. And ever since post-graduation from... I also attended Columbia as, as a student before starting to teach there. But I've right after, or I guess starting with Columbia, I, I started my entrepreneurship journey, worked in a few startups with some of my classmates, joined some startups and whatnot, worked a little bit in the corporate world, and then came to the conclusion that I'm happiest when I can take charge of the creative control and sort of direction of the company. So, hence, here I am, (laughs) CEO. That's interesting that you tried to go like, all right, well, let me see what like joining the startup or I know you were also at American Express, I believe, too, as the software engineer. And so you've tried to, you've seen it from a lot of different arenas, but for the entrepreneurship thing, sounds like you're not new to it, you're true to it. Do you have any like anything in particular that you remember building that was like particularly meaningful for you? In the early days? Definitely. I'm trying to think like tracing back to when I was in Romania. I worked on a few interesting projects, but most of them were just targeted to businesses. I Some of the things that I remember most fondly are things that had to do with, I guess, a now defunct technology, Flash. I'm sure you, you remember that. Yeah. 
I remember all the old Flash games. Yeah, and I remember I was taking a physics class and we were just kind of studying mechanics and different things around friction and forces and things like that. And I remember programming a little ball in Flash to sort of like bounce up and down on the screen and by applying, you know, the laws of gravity and whatnot, eventually sort of like started bouncing less and less and it stopped. And that was just fascinating for me. It's like (laughs) bringing together the physical world with just the digital one. You know, over the years, I've worked on all kinds of interesting projects. Some of them were purely targeted to nonprofit work. I worked for, I built sort of back office document management platform for a fire department while I was in college. And then did some graphic design work for the United Nations. So I kind of dabbled with any kind of interesting things that came my Wow. So you've really seen a broad scope of what could be done. I guess, where are you at in your life when you come up with NLX? Like what's going on in Andre's world when that comes about? Yeah, Andre's world is very much revolved around uh, our customers and our team. (laughs) I spend a lot of time making sure that my team has all the different resources that they require to keep growing the company. We're at a pretty cool inflection point with the company where we're starting to work with very interesting brands and whatnot. And at the same time, also sort of making sure our customers' needs are met and that the company continues to innovate. And I'm proud to say that we've gotten to a point where the teams absorb the values that I try to set up with the rest of the co-founding team to their fullest. And they're kind of spearheading on every front, whether it's innovation or preserving the team culture, how we treat our customers and so on. But I certainly spend the majority of my time just focused around the team. How did you begin building the team? Like, it starts with maybe just you and an idea. Am I right in in assuming your co-founder, Vlad, is your brother? Yes, that's correct. I hear I'm quite fortunate that I get to work with my sibling. We get along quite well. And we, despite the fact that we're both technical, we have very complementary skill sets. Him and I ventured in a few other things prior to NLX. I was about to say, this can't be the first time that y'all were like co-founders, like even probably back when you were in the doing fifth grade web development or something. Believe it or not, it doesn't go that far back. It does go as far as high school, but... okay. Because, you know, growing up, you still have like the inadvertent sibling rivalries and things like that. But no, I remember he started off, he has a very cool artistic side to him. And he started off with graphic design and video editing. He won a few competitions when he was back in Romania. And then we kind of married those two. We were building some mobile applications and things. And eventually he kind of like picked up quite a bit on the computer science front and went super, super deep. So now he's our CTO trust about anything under the sun when it comes to technology. He's a lot more diligent and detail-oriented than I am in that that regard, which is fantastic. But then we also, we have a third co-founder as well, Peter. I've known him and we've known him since I was in middle school and we attended a physics contest. And Peter's just a brilliant scientist and engineer. He actually ended up winning a gold medal internationally in physics Olympiad. And yeah, brilliant guy. And he's very passionate about complex user interfaces. So he's our head of UI engineering, but of course also co-founder. I guess one thing I didn't really point on, between Columbia and sort of the NLX experience, somewhere in there I squeezed the period at American Express where I built their conversational AI platform. So I sort of built from the ground up their platform that 
handles all the traffic for AmericanExpress.com, their American Express mobile app. And there are a lot of very interesting learnings at scale for something like that, as you might imagine. And after American Express, I did some more consulting in the space, worked with some interesting leaders and across industries and whatnot, and seeing how they implement or how they were looking to implement these types of technologies. And I started noticing a bunch of patterns and like a good software engineer, you aim to automate those things or automate yourself out of the process. So that's when in collaboration with Vlad and eventually pulled in Peter, we co-founded NLX and incubated the idea behind NLX to sort of help companies transform their customer contacts into personalized self-service. And somewhere around March 2018, we incorporated and we've been at it ever since. Wow. And so we're did you you had this experience at American Express? I'm sure it was maybe easier than it would be to get a complete stranger on to bring Vlad on. Like we probably just called him up and like, yeah, let's do it. Had you and Peter kind of worked together in this capacity as well, or was it a tougher sell for Peter? How did that look? See, it wasn't necessarily a tougher sell, just because Peter is inherently a very curious individual and Generally, what attracts Peter and what I I guess has attracted a lot of the rest of our team is interesting creative work. We've put together a team that's not just interested in a job, but they're interested in doing meaningful work and something that's that's intellectually engaging. So for Peter, it was actually quite an easy sell. We didn't necessarily work together much, not in the capacity that up until that point, not in the capacity that I've done with my brother Vlad, of course, but We did collaborate on a few projects when he was working, I think, for a nonprofit. And then we sort of consulted on a couple different topics. But I had a good reference point as a friend from when we met at that contest and then we kept in touch over the years. And honestly, it felt very organic. I can't really pinpoint to any meaningful search for like another co-founder or anything like that. It came to be the right place, right time. So (laughs) timing is everything. And there's no substitute for chemistry. And it sounds like that core group you had, there was a ton of trust built in early between everyone's skill set and how they're approaching it. You mentioned that everyone there NLX is like it's deeper than the job. It's the curiosity of doing this interesting creative work. It sounds like that was the through line between that core group of you three, that that's kind of the way that y'all approach work or projects, how did you make sure, yeah, what were the things that you did that made you, allowed you to make sure that everybody that came in the door was kind of on board in in that direction? Like, what does that look like tactically, strategically for y'all? That's a good question. And honestly, going into it, whatever we did contributed to where we are today, but we weren't, it was intentional, but not conscious of all the benefits that will result in kind of put it out there for transparency's sake. Now we're doing it a lot more consciously because we know the value of yeah. what I'm about to describe. So maybe that's an interesting thing to, to talk about too a little bit is like your thesis, like your original thesis when building the team and maybe how that all, yeah. Well, first of all, I am and the rest of the team, we're, we're very fortunate to be surrounded by very smart advisors and investors and individuals who have sort of contributed their time and efforts around our company. So that's been awesome. And a lot of people have raised and emphasized the importance of culture, but it wasn't, nobody really articulated, they articulated the importance of the culture, but they didn't really articulate how you get there. Like there are all kinds of do this, run these workshops, et cetera, et cetera, or like run these very long interview processes. And neither of which you kind of have to feel the pull in a certain direction to actually go and 
embrace a certain new process, right? So nothing really fell to click in that regard. But in absence of any particular specific path, I reflected back on the experience I've had in previous jobs and where specifically great people left. And it always obsessed me why why those people left because oftentimes they, they were my friends and coworkers and I enjoyed working with them. And it's like, oh, why would this person leave American Express or XYZ other company and so on? And as I started looking through analyzing those experiences that I was close to, but also when my own friends from other companies would just leave and switch jobs, I've noticed that it generally falls into the reason for them departing fell into three buckets. Either they weren't being paid well enough, they weren't given interesting work or intellectually stimulating work, or they weren't being respected. So what I've set up to do, or well, more so not to do in the process of how we bring people on board and how we treat them is not to repeat those mistakes. So less so around putting anyone through like an excruciating like interview process that we copy paste from another company, say Google. There's a lot of companies who just pick up this process and start asking questions that are hardly ever relevant in practice. And there you go, that's your process. And then it instills a lot of anxiety into the candidate. It's not really helping anyone. I've been in so many situations where people would ask those kind of questions and they didn't know the answer. And it was absolutely <laughs> in that situation. And just setting up not to do not to make the mistakes that i've seen resulted in, in poor outcomes ended up just transforming or shaping our culture in, into this amazing jewel because all of a sudden everyone's super committed to the company mission and the way they're being treated they're then taking and even if not consciously but subconsciously they're reflecting onto how they treat the customers so all of a sudden the overall, the different people that you're bringing on board, all of a sudden you have a team and a team that's sort of speaking the same language and sharing the same values and pushing them forward to not just internally, but externally to everyone you interact with because, hey, they're paid well enough so they don't have to worry about covering their bills or eating, God forbid, like all kinds of things like that. They're intellectually stimulated to show up to work. They don't see it as work, right? Like Because I think sometimes adults or you get to adulthood and people think like, you're not supposed to play anymore. That's not, <laughs> right? Like it's, you need to stay engaged. And lastly, if you respect them, why would anyone want to leave in the combination of things, right? So I don't know, there's probably more learnings out there that will uncover, but those three things do wonders in practice. Just like the basis, basically, like that is as a baseline. So what are the things that you look for that help you screen against this, like, it's less about how excruciating the process is, but there are indicators maybe that somebody is more or less yeah. suitable for NLX. What are some of those? Yeah, how did you build those things in? You started with what to not do. Yes. And now as you're making forward, you're trying to find what are those levers that we can pull to amplify this signal maybe. Well, what's really cool about the impact of sort of those things we set up not to do, we ended up attracting people who then in turn became committed and interested in further shaping the culture of the company and making sure that as the, the team scales, because that's always a tricky part, right? As your team sort of evolves and scales beyond a certain point, it's challenging to maintain the culture, right? So 
a lot of team members beyond just the co-founding team or the executive team have taken on the task and challenge of figuring out how we can preserve as a company uh, that feeling as we grow further. Now, first and foremost, to be a candidate for NLX, you have to be a good person. So if there's any indication during the interview process that the person we're speaking with might not sort of resemble the values that we look for, you know, people who are transparent, people who are kind and let's say customer centric and just really care about what they're doing and so on, then you're not the fit. No matter how intelligent you might be or how many skills or how many reference you might have, it just won't be a good cultural fit. And we actually had a situation where several people interviewed this one person and great professionally, good conversations back and forth. And then one of the people, one of the final interviewers, this person conveyed their feedback. We just felt a little bit of reservation in how the feedback was portrayed. And after we started digging, we uncovered that, well, the candidate made a certain comment that indicated that maybe they wouldn't be very collaborative and they were sort of talking down to the interviewer. Just the slightness of that made us pause and say, hey, if during this process, anyone of these people, especially early on, doesn't feel right, we're not going to hire them. No matter how much we need that position and how much those skills come off as like they're the right skills that we're looking for, it just won't click. So we focus a lot on the human element. And then beyond that, on their potential and hunger for learning and growth. So even if they're not necessarily experts in the area that we're hiring for, of course, they need to have some familiarity depending on the area. But if they seem to resemble qualities that they'll spend a lot of their time researching and making sure everything's done right, and they're very interested in growing, I'll take that person any day over someone that comes in and I've done everything under the sky and I'll tell you how this is and how you should do it my way or the highway type of thing. Again, it just boils down to, do we want to work with those people, right? Because once you bring these people on the team, there's no proving yourself. We also have a culture that I constantly remind people that there's no, you're not here to impress anyone other than our customers, of course, but like internally, (laughs) you don't impress anyone. You've impressed enough to sort of make it onto the team. Now that's who we are. We're a team. We don't have individual agendas. We don't have anything like that. There's one agenda, it's the companies and everyone kind of has to be aligned to that. And then in that setting, there's no ranks or anything like that. You just join together the skills, whatever they might be and whatever. In a startup setting, everyone's doing a Swiss army knife uh, worth uh, jobs. If people convey those skills and abilities and interests during the interview process, then that certainly puts them at the top of the... Yeah. So yeah, the two top indicators like this curiosity, this hunger, and this kind of kindness and collaborative nature. How big is the team before you have to hire your first executive? What was going on at the company? What was the thing that hit you where you're like, all right, we got to bring in, start bringing in leadership in here? It's been rather organic for us. And we've also been lucky to through the way we do business and convey ourselves externally and whatnot to attract some really good talent early on. First of all, worth emphasizing that early on, you kind of go through the imposter syndrome, right? Even myself, I had to put CEO, right? Because that's... Technically are. (laughs) From a corporate standpoint, but it took a little while until it it felt real, right? Because before you have any funding or any meaningful customers or products or whatever, 
for like role playing, maybe. And as a matter of fact, the co-founders didn't have an executive role for quite some time. We had the right time. And our first hire beyond the co-founding team, of course, started off as someone just doing product marketing and then became our chief operating officer. But in this case, his name is Doug. Doug Doug's done more than a dozen startups and whatnot. So he came with a lot of good acumen. But despite that, it was just organic. We got to a stage where, hey, we need to get some more people. We need these types of skills. And frankly, we sort of, when we were just the four of us, like myself, Vlad, Peter, and Doug, we created this little sheet, Google sheet, if you may. And we all listed out our different things that we're working on, the responsibilities, and highlighted the things that we should continue doing, like ourselves, and the things that we ideally could offload onto someone else. And then you're starting to see, oh, we need someone who can run social media. We need someone who can do marketing so that Doug maybe can step more into operations. And we need some more engineers and we need this and that. So it's just a process of being honest with where you're at. And at the same time, I think it's useful at any stage to get the team, especially from a startup standpoint, to get the team a little uncomfortable where they're doing a little bit too much and try to stay ahead of that by just speaking with enough people so that when you're ready and have the resources to hire people, you can just pull the trigger. But at the same time, just get to that level of discomfort because one of the worst things is when you hire too much in advance and then you have people sitting around and sort of figuring out what you need to give them for work and stuff like that. It's not a great experience for anyone in the process, not for the overall team, not for the manager, not for the team member who doesn't have his, his or hers plate full with whatever number of tasks they need to have, right? So I think just that combination of get to point of discomfort and then just being honest with what you're working on and where you need help because it hasn't been the case for us thankfully but i've heard stories where people are afraid to sort of let go of certain things either because of pride or because they're afraid things might not get done at the same standard of quality that they might do it but that's not a practical way to approach any type of growth right so just being honest and practical around how you might need to grow your company between those couple of things, it's, I think, a more objective process of approaching this because I realize there's there's many different ways of approaching this, but this kind of worked for us. So Yeah, because I've heard different benchmarks of like, oh, we've raised this round, so now we should start looking at this or the team is this size, so now we should start looking at that. But yeah, I like this idea of like, it depends on the responsibilities being held and like how much is everyone carrying on their plate and necessitate the next thing. I see we only have about six, seven minutes left on the docket. So like looking back over this journey now, you've been in it for almost four years. What is some wisdom that you would share with your younger self starting out? I have to imagine there's been mistakes that you've made, but yeah, being able to look back, what would you go tell younger Andre? Or what would you share with another founder trying to seek some advice on this? Be more patient. I'm a naturally impatient person. <laughs> but I feel like all founders are kind of impatient. It's almost like there's an urgency that's just required. It's like a requisite for sure. It's funny how you get humble through the process inadvertently. And really just, to be honest, just stay true to your values. Stay true to your values. I haven't really to this day, and I, I'm rather introspective, especially when things don't really go well. And every time something 
didn't go quite as as we would have liked. And let's say maybe there were things within my control or our control. Intuition, especially if your values are in the right place, is hardly ever wrong. So just trust your intuition in general, but trust your intuitions, especially when it comes to things that cross boundaries when it comes to your values. Are there anything, are there any moments, forks in the road that you can point to where you've where it served you in a powerful way of everything, all your logic was telling you one direction, your intuition was telling you another? Yes. And I'm going to figure out to what level of detail I, I can get into this right now. But sure. there, when you're about to be, you're offered something, right? Let's say some shiny toy, keys, whatever, dangling that you really, really want. And then you're, you pick up on things. In this case, I picked up on things that really didn't match my values. And I was having this internal conflict with myself about just on one side, it's like, hey, I've been working this entire time or my entire life or whatever for this one thing. And here it is. But then in order to get it, I need to sort of step on these things that were just foundational to who I am as a person and what I value. And to sort of make things worse from an advisory standpoint, because you know when people provide advice, you don't necessarily have to always take it. I find it very useful to filter through as much advice as possible. And then I make my own decision through the lens of that. But people will, will provide advice that's sometimes if it's just filtered purely through an objective point of view, it makes sense. But if you filter in values and a few other things, maybe it doesn't make as much sense. And then that this particular instance, my advisory group was just perfectly split. So here I am sitting with like a group of, smart, accomplished people from all walks of life, giving me very polar opposite like advice. And then internally, I'm also like polarized. And then honestly, I ended up picking, making the decision through the lens of my values. And I can't tell you what the positive physical reaction I got once I finally made the decisions like, this is done, this is how we're going to do things. Without going into the specifics of that particular one, it was a very challenging decision. And again, it's one of those things where you have in front of you something that you really, 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 really want. And the realization, at least for me, is that nothing is worth at all costs, right? When you're just kind of foregoing everything you value or that you care for or things like that. So yeah, certainly a way to minimize regret. Yes. I bet, you know, wow. And then... We're about, we got like a minute left. I'm trying to, I'm watching the time left on the clock. Quickly, like someone that that you would want to give a shout out to other founders or investors in your world that you respect, think highly of, that you'd like to give a shout out to, give some flowers to. I certainly want to shout out to all of our investors, believed in us when nobody else would. So I won't even single anyone out. Really, really appreciate it. You know, I'm, I'm very appreciative of all of their help to date and also to our amazing team. Like I wouldn't be here no matter how many ideas and all and past experience I would have had, we couldn't have gotten to this stage without the overall team. So I'm going to be forever grateful to their commitment to the company and our values. I love it. Teamwork makes the dream work. Precisely. Well, I appreciate you joining us, Andre, and sharing so much of your story and your journey. Hopefully some founders will take note of the cultural and value impact that it has on all of that. Yeah, wishing you and the NLX team continued success. Thank you again for joining. Pleasure speaking with you. Take care. All right, cheers. The Gradients is brought to you by Build Talent. To find out more about us, head to buildtalent.io and make sure to search for The Gradients in Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Click follow so you don't miss out on any future episodes. And on behalf of everyone here at Build, thanks for listening. Thank you.